Welcome to the Chris Podcast for the 29th of August, 2019. We speak with Sam Riley, co-founder and CEO of Ansarada, about confidence, readiness, and the future of deal-making. All right, so <laughs> welcome to the Chris Podcast. Uh, this is episode number three. Today, I've got a special guest, uh, Sam Riley, who's a, the co-founder of Ansarada and, and CEO. So Sam, you know, to, to give some context, you know, me and Sam have actually known each other for probably about eight years now, which is scary and sad at the same time when you hear it, thinking about it. But uh, the, the the reality is about 12 months ago, we got brought together by what me and Sam agree is one of our favorite conferences of the year, Morgo, uh, which is run by Jenny Morell. And we, it was actually one of the rare times that as founders, we actually had the time to sit down chat and sort of talk about what was sort of going on in each other's businesses, what we're seeing in the marketplace, and also sort of, you know, just talk about different issues we're facing and so forth. And for me, that conversation ended up being transformational for the way I was thinking and also what was happening uh, in Wholesale Investor. So uh, really happy to have Sam on, on the podcast today. And Sam, you know, welcome, firstly. Thanks, Dave. And, um, you know, as a starting point, for people who don't know Ensarada, and I'm sure you tell this sort of three times a three times a day, but just sort of give a bit of context to who you are and who Ensarada are. Okay, cool. Well, cool. myself personally, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. I was, you know, trying to, you know, sell lollies in school and run local car washes and all of that sort of stuff. So, quite entrepreneurial. Dad ran his own business, so you know, everyone wants to be like their dad. So I sort of tried to learn a lot about business and get his approval and recognition for business stuff. So realise I actually enjoy that as well. So that's me. But Ansarada, you know, is a company that really helps businesses and advisors in their most important moments get good outcomes. You know, that could be raising capital or they might want to sell their business. And those outcomes depend on the right information and the right people doing the right things to get that outcome realised. So we build software for that. So yeah. we're a SaaS company. We build software that helps good outcomes happen. In those processes, bad things can happen. So you know, we try to minimise or eliminate that stuff. Could be security and risk stuff. Could be controlling documents. Could be getting people prepared for that. So you know, we just try to help people get great outcomes from the hard work they've done in their business and set them up for success for what's next in their yeah. life cycle. And sort of you, Ansarada was founded in 2006, right? Yeah. And how many, how, many, how many team do you have? How many countries are you in? All that sort of stuff because I think yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the name Ansarada comes from actually the four founders. It's Andrew, Sam, to me, obviously, Rachel and Daphne. <laughs> so we just made an anagram of their names. Um, now, we didn't do this series A, B, C, D thing. Um, we put in $30,000 collectively and no one, you know, no one left their day job. You know, we just sort of, uh, I think the cool kids today call it a side hustle. <laughs> but we, we, we just, you know, Andrew, who's Russian, um, you know, software engineer, and Rachel, who's my sister, but she's also a CA and accountant. They were working on a deal, and that deal got to the stage where they needed to do due diligence. And back in 06, 05, actually, 
they said, oh, you should set up a virtual data room. And, and Andrew's like, what's that? And everyone's like, what's that? And they're like, well, you know, the buyer for this business, um, this was Hotel Club. And yeah. I don't know if you know, Leon Kevin Edward founded Menulog. But Menulog went on to get sold. But Leon's okay. first business in Australia was um, online hotel sales. So he was selling that. And Andrew was, you know, part of that team. So anyway, that... They said, look, US buyers going to have to fly out here and physically have to do due diligence and look at documents, and that's going to take ages and cost heaps. Virtual data rooms, like one of the original SaaS products, actually, like they they put all that online, just mm. need a browser, you log in, everyone can do their due diligence, like the accountants, lawyers, and just be better. Now, Daphne was the financial controller. So she took a look at the existing options in the market and she said, man, these are expensive. And Andrew looked at the functionality and thought, I can do a better job. So that's how Android started. Andrew built something to facilitate that deal. And afterwards, everyone involved said, actually, that was pretty good. That was fast, simple. You should have these features, but what you had was pretty good. And you know, you've got two accountants and a Russian software yeah. engineer, and they said, well, it might be a business here, but we need, like, sales, marketing, and entrepreneurial stuff, and, I, you know. And that's thank, where you come in. <laughs> thank you to Rachel, my sister. She said, oh, you know, I know how to call. And uh, the four of us met up in George Street at uh, Deli France, a cafe down there, and, um you just said, oh, actually. It's funny how you remember all those details from the early days, like where sort of first meetings happened and so forth. Yeah, very vividly. Yeah. And um, we thought, oh, there's an opportunity here, but like we wrote a list of, before we jumped in. We said, well, let's validate this. So we wrote a list of all, like, who do you know that's a banker and a lawyer and a general counsel and a CFO? And let's go interview them and see if we should actually do this or not. Yeah. But when we met met them and asked them about their challenges and the outcomes they want and risks they try and manage, and we were like, actually, yeah, there's a pretty big opportunity here because there's a lot on the line. Everyone's highly paid by the hour, time pressures. So, you know, software can help with that big time. So, like I said, we just put in 30000 bucks collectively, um, did a lot of R&D for the first nine months, and... Uh, one thing I've learned, I'd like to claim it as a deliberate outright strategy, but I think I'll learn about it afterwards, is, um, you know, in most businesses, you've got to build trust. Yeah. And because we didn't run around selling and marketing something that we didn't really have, we that first nine months of really listening to potential customers and asking them what they need and why and then designing and building something, coming back, showcasing it to them, listening to their feedback and then iterating on it. Uh, after about six months, that actually developed trust with them. And those early potential customers actually said, actually, guys, we've got a deal coming up. Do you want to run it? And um, of course we said, yeah. And after a few sort of smaller transactions and deals and, you know, we got the confidence that, you know what, we should actually go and sell and market this properly. And then we spun up a website, then we did marketing, then we did all this stuff. Yeah. So we, I think probably because in a good way, we realised that if we don't do a good job here, this is going to screw up all There's the no people. Yeah. Um, 
you know, work and um, whether that's an advisor or an investor or the company itself, we, we, we realised the gravity of what we were doing and we thought, you know, that's not going to be good and we're not going to get a good name, so let's do a good job. And, and that actually gave us some trust and credibility, which turned out to be the key ingredient to growth. And for you guys now, like you're obviously not just based in Australia, oh, you've yeah. got offices across Australia, US, and the UK. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, sorry, I didn't answer you. That's right. Um, we've got about 170 staff, operate three main hubs in yeah. US and Chicago, London, and here. And then we've got some people on the ground in um, Amsterdam that serve sort of Benelux, a bit of mainland Europe, people in Joburg. Um, yeah, but we, we, we have customers about 160 countries, but operate from those three hubs around the world, Europe, America, Asia Pac. And I noticed on your site, like some of your clients include Google and quite, you know, some yeah. quite big tech companies. Yeah, Google's a, quite a big client of ours for many years and they use us for all their sort of targeted acquisitions to, yeah. you know, use the platform. And, uh, you know, it's funny, like a lot of people that haven't been through critical outcome-based deals like raising capital or selling or acquiring an asset and everything that goes with it, they'll often think they can use um, generic sort of cloud storage tools. Mm. And, um, you know, but what's good about having Google users for their deals, I'm just like, mate, Google, <laughs> Google doesn't even use Google Drive for its deals. deals, yeah. You know, like you, you need some of this functionality yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be taking risks or um, you're going to be making your advisory team less efficient. Yeah. And then that's just going to be translated in higher fees and longer time, actually prevent them doing a better job for you. Yeah. Because it's quite a unique, um, you know, situation that you're trying to weave your way through. So a couple of things when we sort of started, you know, we started talking again about sort of 12 months ago, we were talking about the capital raising space and we were talking about how it relates to founders. And, you know, one of the things that we're both, you know, super conscious of ourselves as founders is sometimes the impact that raising capital can have in your own business. Mm. And I tell the story, you know, for myself personally, and it actually come up at a, one of the breakfast briefings that I went to with, with you where one of the VCs was talking where what people don't take into context when they go to raise capital is, how much time is actually involved and you know one of the things i ask at workshops i ask people like who here has been able to raise you know raise their entire cap rate amount of capital in a one month period and literally no one puts up their hand right and one of my stories for me after we uh, raised our finished raising our series a i remember having to go to the investors until because it took sort of nine to 12 month period i remember having to go to let the investors know that my revenue had declined in that period and I was so surprised because you imagine you just raised a substantial chunk of money, walking into the back into your investors' office to let them know that you effectively had a decline in revenue. And I was nervous about it, of course. And the comment out of the mouth of one of the people involved was so surprising when they said, Was that because of us? <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, look at go, well, yes. And I at a breakfast session I went to with you, one of the VCs who was speaking mentioned that. Most companies and most deals they do after they finish the capital raising said how it actually impacts the business. And this is where our conversation started around this readiness aspect. Yeah. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I love how you've approached this and that you're now 
your yeah the the, the thing that, what the seed that you planted in my brain is how you can use AI to basically know whether you're going to have a successful outcome with a deal. So love to hear your philosophy on that, you know, for, for people listening to this. And also, you know, what are some of the stories that you've heard for, you know, that founders have experienced in that cap raising process and maybe some of your own stories? Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And um, I've been through that myself. And I think, you know, answer out of years, we optimise that due diligence phase of deals mm. and helping people do that. But, you know, if you're entrepreneurial, the same spirit and blood that you started your company with because you saw an opportunity, when you go execute on that, you also get more visibility, data, relationships, and you see more opportunity. And you actually want to go, you know, execute on that. So for us, executing, do due diligence stuff, uh, made us have a few questions that fit into what you're saying. Like we were like, hang on. Why is every deal treated like it's the first one ever? Like there's no, you know, templated, automated, here, here's most of the stuff, papers yeah. up, get going with this, used. Like it's a lot of it's from scratch. Um, two, what you said, like the longer deals take, the more stressful and time they involve it actually. Actually, the best thing I learned, there's two things that kill deals. Yeah. Time and lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> I've met some awesome ways that help deals, but I've also met some that would fit your quote for sure. Uh, totally understand. So, you know, that happens. The other thing is, um, ironically, it's like at the end of a deal, the company's in its best shape ever. Yeah, this is one of my best lessons, one of the best things I learned from you. And, you've, and like we were sitting there going, okay, well, Due diligence process forces people to do this um, in a way that they uncover risk and opportunity and get to know their business. They understand investors' concerns better than ever, and that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, the bad things are takes them away from the business, takes a lot of time, costs a lot of money, and it's Absolutely. super stressful. So, you know, we were like, okay, well, we got like, I don't know, 30,000 deals we've done, what are the patterns? But just but just gives like, so, so just going, like before we go into the patterns part, I just want to give some real context to what you were just saying then from an experience. Like when you talk about the bills mounting, you, you're getting bills from legal, from lawyers, you're getting bills from accountants, to where there's advice, often there could be advisors attached to that and they're often in monthly bills. Yeah. So if they're going through a significant size transaction where it could be a sort of, you know, if it's a seven figure transaction they're doing with a professional investor or with a family office, Often the transaction fees alone, you know, just the, the hard cost can be anywhere up to that sort of 100K amount before a transaction gets done. Mm. And let alone if it doesn't get done, how, how the company pays for that. But absolutely does mount if they're not ready. That's right, yeah. So exactly. So we looked at all that and reached the conclusion that like most companies are, are not ready for this yeah. and they're not, um, they're not prepared. They're just not even aware. And they're actually learning on the fly as they go mm. through the process. So we're like, well, this process is lengthy, stressful, and all the things you said, and expensive. We're like, how can we make readiness a state for a business, yeah. not a process? So that's when, obviously, we look to software and our data and AI and go, look, if business was aware of this stuff, they were prepared. We call it RAS, like readiness as a service. Yeah. Like, you know, 
everything's delivered as a service these days. So we're like, yeah. why can't readiness for your biggest company's events that involve critical information, why can't the language that investors want you to speak and, you know, advisors want you to speak, why can't that common language be known earlier? Um, why can't companies have more visibility and awareness earlier in their life cycle so that they can align to it, benchmark themselves, identify areas that even without a deal would actually help their business Correct. better? That's the, that's the biggest takeaway, right? Because getting ready when there's a potential deal on is painful. Right, because not only do you have to line up the, no, you have to find out the potential shareholders. You have to get the board on. You have to get the board, you know, enrolled in the process. Plus other shareholders for approvals. It could be, but more than that, just the. I know, and I know for myself when that conversation came when there was an opportunity, I absolutely wasn't ready, and it took me at least two to three months of pro of time to get ready. And you talk about being away, you know, the time it takes you out of your business. You're locked inside your office. You're in meetings all the time. You're away from your staff. Like you typically come out of that process, not only with less revenue, but also, you know, your, your relationship can be sometimes with your staff less because you're just taken out of the business that much in that, you know, during that time frame. Exactly. And the irony is, is years or months earlier, they could have been brought on the Correct. process and helping you get ready. So it could be a process of just chipping away at always being ready, quarter on, you know, just updating, updating the, you know, yeah. updating your due diligence room, whether it be staff changes, quarterly meetings, quarterly financial, like yeah, it's just I, simple stuff. Yeah, your IP, assets, yeah. list, board minutes, you know, it could be even like a good one, so like forecasts and projections. Yep. You know, so in a business, like if you have a really robust forecast and financial model that helps you project, and analyze results, um, that helps you make better decisions running the business anyway. Yeah. But if you go do a deal, you absolutely need one. Yeah. So, you know, you'll find out what a good financial model, forecast model looks like in a deal, and you'll get one, but you probably should have one, or you definitely should really? have one anyway. Well, that was my, my lesson at the end of my process was I learned more about my business going through that process of, say, as you said, what you said, you're, you're in your best shape, at the time that you're actually doing a deal. And I remember when I went through that process, I was like, I do not want to let this data room lapse because right. yeah. everything was where I needed, everything was ready where I wanted it. Exactly. So marrying up what you were saying with the disconnect from the team and you've reached that state, that's why we're like, well, the team can come on the journey because yeah. as a CEO, you, you, yeah. you, you can assign accountability for those different areas like, Hey, here's all the operational hygiene stuff. Here's the HR. Here's finance. Can you own that? We'll scorecard it for you. We'll give you content that informs you what great looks like. And that person, the business, wants to look after that. They want to do a good job. And then, as a byproduct, any event, like even an audit or acquisition, cap raise, investor reporting. Even a new board member, you want to want to get on board, and they want to investigate the company. That great work you've delegated to your team instantly is also useful to execute all that. Yeah. So it's a win-win-win for the company, and and investors get more confidence quicker. Execution times go down, risk goes down, you know all that stuff. So look, most of the companies we work with are either you know raising their what would be defined as sort of their Series A or Series B, right? Mm -hmm. So they're sort of growth companies. Some are obviously now starting to do with more startup companies as well. 
what would be, I suppose, the main tips that you would provide to them, number one? And then number two, what would you – actually, no, I'll ask this afterwards. I want to know what you sort of observed in how the changes in the way in which people are raising capital and then we can sort of discuss what the sort of future looks like. So first one is, is what would be your advice to founders who are sort of raising their sort of startup or Series A, Series B capital rounds? Yeah, okay. Well, my advice would be like um, – you got to have a good story. You got to have a good idea. You know, like one of my—I don't know what your listeners will think of this—but like, there's that common quote which is like, "Oh, nine out of ten businesses fail." And I'm like, I hate that quote because it assumes they all had an equal chance. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, I reckon no, I'll never know. But like, I'm like, I reckon half of them should never have even been started. Like, yeah. they just didn't. They have an idea that was going to provide enough value to enough people to actually generate enough revenue. Um, so, like, first of all, the idea, the problem you're solving, that's got to be really solid and, like, you know, tangibly investable. And mm-hmm. then it's like, who are you and who are the founders? And, you know, do you have the competency and the passion and, you know, clarity around the problems to solve along with demonstrable? evidence that you have the skills to actually tackle those problems. So then that whole narrative and story around what you're setting out to do, why you're actually setting out to do this, how are you actually going to do it in a way that leads an investor to think you will, and then, you know, what do you need to do it? Like, and how much money, where are you going to use it? Now, all of that's got to be good, but then you've got to be able to say, well, that money is going to drive this thing up or this number up or mm. help us do this. And that's going to translate into these returns for an investor. And the other thing I'd advise people to do is put on the investor hat because investors think about risk and think, well, why wouldn't this work? What what would be the risk of it not happening as we think? Well, it's actually, it's actually more than that, right? So especially the Australian marketplace, and this is very different to Singapore, Right, so the Australian marketplace, I said, said I go through this in one of the slides. The first psychological trade is loss aversion. Loss aversion. So I found with most most investors here, they will look for every reason as to why a company will fail, or That's look right. for every reason not to invest, I should say, before looking for the opportunities to invest, and that's. That's actually really hard to like for me. I can't do that for my own business. I've got to get someone else to like, like yeah. bluntly. Like I spent three to four months trying to ask different. Like I know I want the negative yeah. stuff up front. That's right. In I, a friendly environment, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's normal because you're a great entrepreneur. But and everyone listening to this, we all have strengths. Yes. But a blind spot is an overused strength. You know, an entrepreneur. Absolutely. What makes you strong is you. You know, you see the vision, you see the opportunity. You're almost blindfolded around passionately pursuing it. But like you said, an investor, their strength is like looking at risk and loss aversion, and they're looking at it from a different lens. So yeah, you absolutely got to do what you said, and that builds confidence with investors that. It, in you know whatever your deck or even a phone call or a coffee meeting doesn't matter if you can talk about obviously the vision the passion of what it's going to do but also say you know what we've thought about the ten the top ten risks that would prevent us doing this we want to talk through what they are and I also want to talk about 
how we're addressing those risks and how they're not going to eventuate through how we're actually going to yeah. take action on them. And I want to show you our operational cadence and reporting and process that ensures that those risks are monitored and we know about them early and often and we address them before they become material. Now, if someone spoke like that to an investor, they win their trust and confidence pretty quick. Yeah. And um, that'll progress you for, through to the next sort of, you know, engagement level with an investor, uh, whether that's a formalised VC that uh, has a, you know, a zillion dollar fund or, or a high net worth individual yeah. that just likes you and what you're doing. You know, they both are going to want that. And that's what I found really interesting for me is the difference between how many are just happy to see just baseline information as far as pitch deck, investment flyer, and, you know, just some basic sort of material versus how many actually want to see the, the DD. Now, the, the, the other lesson I really got from you that I think is relevant for everyone and why your thoughts on this is getting to the fast yes or no. That's really, like, that was a, as far as a philosophy, I've carried that forward in everything, right? Because I would much rather now, whereas it's never nice hearing a no, but you realise capital raising is a numbers game, right? And you would see this in, I'm sure, and we talk about the future of raising money, I'm sure you, you, you would see that. But it's absolutely a numbers game, and I want to get to the fastest yes or no as humanly possible, right? So, you know, I'd love to know sort of, because that must have come from somewhere, watching experiences or... I don't know, love, love to hear sort of more your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I think probably because I know what we've talked about, like if this progresses and we actually end up raising this capital and doing this deal, mm. it's going to involve a significant amount of work on both parts. Yeah. So because of my exposure to that and the intimacy of it, it leads you to actually ask questions and be quite specific up front to only spend time with people that, it's going to be good for you and them on the the whole process. Mm. So, like, you know, some of my favourite questions were like, you know, well, what would make you really passionately want to invest in this? What would make you walk away? What are some maybes that you'd want to see more information on? And, you know, it's questions like that. If you can have That's them, good. if you ask more of those questions up front, at least you're not asking them for a yes or no, you're just trying to understand where they're at. Where they're at on a negative, positive, in between, and then you can digest that and come back and respond. Well, some of their answers... And they're actually quite willing to answer too, if oh, you yeah. ask the right question. Oh, yeah, and it builds trust. And you might actually hear answers to that and say, you know what, I, I just... I don't think we're going to be able to do a deal because some of the things you want, the things you don't want, I, I don't think that fits with what we're doing. Yeah. Or the opposite, you might say, actually, this is exciting, let me get back to you. Um, but asking a lot of questions up front to explore the investor's mindset and what are their concerns and what are their hopes and what are they excited about, what do they get worried about. Um, that's good. That, that builds yeah. speed and trust. And for you now, you've obviously seen tran the transformation of deal. Like, you know, to, to me, I said, I see you guys as an Australian tech success story that no one sort of really thinks about it in, in that way. And I'm sure you as a founder don't think about it too no, much. I, <laughs> I was going to say, as founders, we just deal with fires, right? So um, the the perspective you would have is how you've seen capital raising change, the interest in innovation, what people are doing now. How do you see the future of deal making? Oh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, that a, a lot of the, what people want and being able to evidence that um, 
through fact will become automated a lot, you know, especially the due diligence process. Um, what I don't think will become automated, and I think the best advisors, the best investors, and the best companies will yeah, are all around like, okay, that's the information, that's the reality. So as a result, what should be the strategy? What should be the story? What you know, what's the what's the way to frame this? So I found the best advisors, they want the facts, they want the information, they want they want to comply with all what's required from a standard or regulatory or due diligence perspective. But once they get all that information, it's really, okay, well, what should you do with it? But it's like um, the bottom-up analysis of like legal DD, financial due diligence, that like what's going on here? What's the state of this company? What are the material risks? What are the, what's done well, what sort of not? Yeah. That, that diagnostic on any company will be able to instantly be, you know, developed um, and that's that's what we're training AI to do and to me that becomes the opportunity for the investor yeah if you can understand the we like how I said this like one of the challenges I hear with the area of you know checklist DD checklist and all that sort of stuff or yeah. basically for me in the early days I found you deal with a lot of a lot of advisors and they make you feel like your business has to be absolutely perfect before you can get money Right. And with their role, they can, you know, with what they're going to do, they're going to help make you be perfect, you know, for you to go and attract money. And you just realize as a case, like there is actually no such thing as perfection in a growth company. No. In fact, it's, you know, most companies are dealing in, in, in fact, the, the very, the higher growth companies are basically on the borderline of chaos and order, right? Which is where growth sits. And, yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing for me where I, when you see investors and you're seeing as much as what we've seen, they're actually looking for the if the weakness in the business is the area in which they can actually add value, right? Because for some of them, that's where their strategic uplift comes. Yeah, if that's the type of investor, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And like the wrong thing for people to take away from this podcast would be, oh, hey, have your ship in order and make it all perfect from a DD perspective, but you've got... 1% growth and you're losing 10%. <laughs> That's not going to get yeah, you. Yeah, help. It's like, you know, the fundamentals are great, you know, problem you're solving, really yeah. good team, like plenty of opportunity out there, addressable markets big, you're growing at 20%. But then you want to evidence that you're aware of all the issues that are going to running your business right. Um, you've got diagnostics on that. You've got answers for yeah. it. You've got people accountable for it. Doesn't mean to your point all of it's great, but just the awareness of it, you're, you're yeah. onto it, you're addressing it, that goes a long way. Um, and that's sort of what we help with. But um, yeah, like the right investor will actually look at some of your weaknesses as an opportunity for them to add value. Yeah. You know, if it's a hands off investor that's writing a small check and they're not going to be that involved, that's different. But if they're more strategic and they've got a really good skill around, say, how to operationalise a business to go into international markets. Mm -hmm. And if you're a bit weak there, they'll get no worries. Like, when we come on board, we'll help you do that. Yeah. Win for you, win for us, or whatever. So, you know, as usual, being transparent and uh, upfront about things goes a long way. And just going back to sort of AI and sort of you know, in deal making, love to love to know your thoughts on how you see that playing a role 
for I suppose your your business and also just transactions in general. Because I know for us, we think there's a role for you know for, for AI to play in that matchmaking aspect, right? And that's highly appealing for me. But love to know how you guys yeah. look at it. Yeah, well, I think you know the more AI can trawl through all the information in your business, yeah, and it doesn't really care about your cat gifts and all that that are stored on your Dropbox folder or whatever you're using for storage. But actually, AI should be my vision is AI is running all the time, and it's identifying you know information that's material and relevant to future outcomes and current risks and opportunities. And it will pull that out and label it and assemble it and benchmark it to best practice and always on state tell you what you're doing good and what the gaps are. And it should let you run what I call like a, you know, I didn't call this, it's a thing in business, like what if analysis. Mm. You know, whether you want to or not, it should just say, hey, if you do the cap raise now, you're like 40% ready. And you're like, oh, what's, where are my gaps? It's like, we don't have this. This is poor yeah. quality. If you did an IPO, if you wanted a debt facility, you know, these, you know, these things that are future outcomes, you should have visibility on them now. You should be benchmarked to them. You should be able to attribute exactly what you have that's good and where your gaps are. Now, then it's up to you what you want to do about it. But AI... You know, it doesn't need a pat on the head and a coffee. It can actually, it can actually be always on, just trawling and constantly analysing information as it changes. So you know, if you've got a new customer agreement, but the terms in it probably aren't the best around. um, You know, it could be like a a clause around change of control or things that you probably shouldn't be signing. The, you know, you're, you just want to sign this new customer and you've agreed to this stuff. You might still want to do that, but AI should be saying, oh, hey, by the way, that's probably not the best for uh, these future outcomes mm-hmm. and giving you an early heads up yeah. so you can actually think about the next customer agreement you sign and maybe you want to modify your T's and C's or just have awareness of some of these future problems you're creating for yourself. Yeah. Which is often the case, right? Sometimes with new bigger clients you're getting, or even sometimes it could be shareholders' agreements, right? Yeah. It's like being awareness of what future challenges that could create, sort of going forward. Exactly. Like the, those things have an impact today. Mm-hmm. You're obviously preoccupied with today, but they also get brought up tomorrow in a deal. Yeah. And you know, I've lost count of how many times I've. I'm like, I've said, oh, I wish I knew that, you know. <laughs> like, even things running a business, like, you know, we, you know, our office and we wanted to expand and have the office above us. Yeah. And, um, you know, their, their, their lease came up and we said, oh, we want to go for that lease. And they're, they're like, oh, no, the tenant below you actually has first right of refusal on that space. And I'm like, why? They moved in after us. And they said, oh, they just negotiated it in their lease. And I'm like, well, good on them, but actually, I didn't know that. I didn't, yeah. you know, so like just simple things like that. It's like, you know, you likely want to expand your office. And it's like, yeah. It's like, well, do you have the first row of refusal cause on new space? And yeah. if you tried to get that with the, with the owner's building, it's like, no. It's like, I would have actually done that. Yeah. yeah. But, but I found out. But that's a, that's yeah. a journey, right? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a, like every day you can sit down and think, oh, I wish I'd have known that, I wish I'd have known 
Yeah, but I think like me, I wish I had, I wish I had gone to Asia a lot earlier than what I did. <laughs> no, exactly. But but I think AI. Back to your point on AI. I think there's a role. Doesn't fit in, that that example doesn't fit in deal space that much. But there's a role where AI can say, look, take you through a process around. Hey, on this lease, are you likely to want to expand? No. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And just walk you through future scenarios so that you can have awareness of them today. Yeah. And I think any advisor that uses that, they can get the answers they need to do a better job for their clients. Yeah. So I think it will transform advisory practice where a lot of our best advisors now, they're partnering with us so that they can use a SaaS platform to deliver readiness as a service to corporates. Mm. So instead of like rocking up every six months and asking, hey, Steve, what's your plan for WI? And I would love to work with you. They can actually have visibility over your material information and how to help you on the journey. Yeah. And then if they do that for you, you're going to love them. They're going to be helping you. They're going to get to know you better. You trust them. And then when a capital markets event comes up, they'll, they'll get the gig. But um, for them to do that, they need to use software, otherwise it's not scalable for them. Yeah, very true. And they can they can take their expertise and knowledge as an advisor and package it up into a SaaS platform that you know helps their expertise be connected to companies in a far more scalable way. And companies obviously benefit mm. and um, you know don't find out a lot late. They find out things as they go. And as a final, a sort of final question, like what would be your, what would be your advice to, to founders, whether it be that are preparing for a cap raise or have got thoughts of, because yeah, let, let's be honest, the IPO market's down, right? So let's go, so they've got thoughts of a strategic exit at some stage. What would be your advice to founders as far as related to whether it be the setup for themselves or how long it actually takes or what things to be aware of? before they go into that process? Call up answer rather and benchmark yourself to, hey. to this with that. Like, honestly, like I think uh, you want to you just go and benchmark yourself yeah. to one of those outcomes. I did that, by the way. I did the benchmark. I quite liked it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was really, I think it was like 70, I, I did a basic one, it was like 79% and the actual specific area that I didn't have something down was on the area of HR, it was interesting HR policy. So it was like literally like straight out of there. And then my last catch up with you, you were talking, you were raving about the HR expert you now working with. <laughs> correct, <laughs> correct. And funny enough, I literally said down, it's like about <laughs> HR policies today. <laughs> I think, look, you can bench, look, you can take a future outcome like IPO, cap raise or selling and just diagnose yourself. Yeah. I think it's a great way of doing and it. And then, you know, get the diagnosis in 20 minutes and then you can decide what you want to do. Well, we should send that out. We should send that out as part of sort of releasing this um, yeah, podcast because I think it's really helpful for people. I said, I know it was helpful for me like yeah. as far as covering the main areas and, yeah, yeah. it's simple. It took me, I think, three to five minutes to, to do it. It wasn't didn't take long really? at all. That's so. Cool. Yeah, and you get a pat on the back because you would go, oh, yeah, I do that. I do that. <laughs> and then you read another question you're like, you know, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, you put it this way, in a, in a very even though it's you know, even though it's quite simplified, you work out where you're weak and where you where you've got you now I'm fortunate enough I've got a you know, said I've got a institutional investor that's sort of quite disciplined in how they are approaching. So that's obviously helpful. But I said most people don't have that benefit uh to you know to, to work with. 
So that's what actually that's the main thing AI is going to do. That it's going to democratize food. The Everyone wants to democratize stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, the, the the six Ds of disruption are quite relevant. Um, but the the level and quality of advice and benchmarking the average person off the street could get for free. Yeah. AI and even what's available to today, what we're doing, and a few other people, you guys as well. You know, some of that advice. I used to say, like, you know, like they to go to the moon, they have the power of a calculator equivalent mm-hmm. today. But look what we walk around with in our pockets with smartphones. Some of this advice and insight and knowledge to act, you years ago you would have had to pay half a million bucks to Goldman Sachs yeah. and the top law firms. A lot of that insight benchmarking is going to become increasingly available to entrepreneurs starting off on the journey. Which is beautiful. And that means they can use their skills as an entrepreneur and the passion they're doing. But the legal, commercial, HR, financial knowledge that is necessary, their hopes and dreams won't live and die on that stuff. But here, but just, and just as a, as a final thing, this the main thing that it gives... And so we haven't mentioned this word throughout this whole thing, confidence. Right, that's it. That's all we're going for. You, All you want to do is have some level of confidence when you're going into a transaction. Yeah, actually, yeah. Like, no joke, that's our core mission. Yeah. Now, we want every business to have the confidence to act in every critical decision. Yeah. But to be confident, they have to know. That, Correct. You know, they have to know it's great and walk in with the confidence and then they can act. And if every business is acting confidently, they're going to grow. It's going to be good for staff. It's going to be good for the economy, the community. Yeah. You know, people that rip people off, the worst advisors out there that prey on people's lack of knowledge and they prey on their, you know, misunderstanding of things, they won't be allowed to survive. The best advisors and the best investors will actually flourish and that's going to be good for them as well. Yeah. So, like, you know, I reckon it's a really bright world that's out there for people. If you're passionate about an idea, you've got a good plan, you've got a good story, a lot of the other things you may doubt yourself on and go, well, gee, I don't know much about those topics or those topics, they're going to be available to you and there's going to be experts to help you and um, you're not going to live and die on that stuff. You're going to live and die on how you execute on your vision. Love it. Sam, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. Source the latest deals. Access a network of 24,200 high net worth investors and professional investment groups and raise capital today with CRISP at crisp.io.